I think that women do our best work in community together, that we love to stand shoulder to shoulder and you might be further ahead in a particular area of life, but that's almost always balanced out by conversely, the other person is doing better in a particular area of life. And just because you've got a bunch of money doesn't mean that you have to sit alone in a high rise tower. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. If you are passionate about growth in your business, if you are growing a purpose-driven business and you want access to education, to resources, and to other amazing businesswomen who can help you do it better every single day, then this is the podcast for you. And guess what? I am so excited to let you know that the Biz Women Rock Elite membership is now open and ready for you. What is the elite? Just like elite athletes have certain qualities that make them stand out amongst all the other athletes, elite business owners are just the same. And in the Biz Women Rock Elite membership, you are surrounded by all of your fellow rockin' biz women who don't take no for an answer, who are super obsessed with continuing to grow themselves, grow their businesses, and do big things in this world. And as a member of the Biz Women Rock Elite, you get special access to really in-depth targeted education that is available nowhere else in the Biz Women Rock community and specialized tools, strategies, and access to your fellow members in a productive way that will produce results in your business. You are not in this game alone, girl. So go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash elite membership and become a member today. Usually I like to pick a particular angle or lens with which I'm interviewing my guests because I know they have a particular area of expertise that will benefit you. But honestly, there are so many areas of business that Hillary Hendershot does right that I knew giving you a general insight into how her business brain works would be the most helpful. Hillary worked in her father's financial planning business for 13 years before she decided to open her own company. And in just three years, Hillary Hendershot Financial has become a high six-figure business expected to earn $500,000 in revenue by the end of 2017. During this awesome interview, Hillary shares why she started her own company instead of simply taking over her father's business, the biggest mistake she made in her first year of business, and her specific process on how she hires right and successfully manages a virtual team. In addition, we also talk about the huge impact launching her podcast, Profit Boss Radio, has made in her business, not just in listeners turning into clients, but in her overall personal brand as an expert in her field. Her quote was, I believe what the podcast does is scale trust. This interview, I believe, will give you a deep insight into the person that Hillary is, which will ultimately explain why her business has had such a tremendous growth in such a short period of time. Hillary has completely fascinated me since I've known her this past year, and I'm so excited that I get to introduce her to you here. 
Hillary, what's going on, girl? Hello, Katie. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> whoop, whoop. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I had the privilege of bringing you into the Biz Women Rock Elite for a special education last week. And that's why I was so excited to be like, dude, I've got to bring you on the podcast so like everyone who's a part of the whole community can hear what an amazing woman you are, what an amazing business owner you are. So I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks. Yeah, your elite group is pretty fantastic. They were getting kind of excited. I couldn't see them, but they were chatting and I could see the pop-ups. And so that was exciting. I had a lot of fun. Oh my God. And if you have yet to join the elite, when you do, you have access to that interview that I did. And it was brilliant all about like mindset and money and money blocks and negotiations and putting attention on your sales and all. I mean, just nugget after nugget after nugget. It was great. As a matter of fact, I think you, you're one of the few that I've actually been writing down quotes. I was writing down quotes during our our conversation and I was like quoting Hillary Hendershot. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll be looking forward to some good giffies. Yes. Love it. (laughs) Well, so I wanted you here because uh, truthfully, well, I could have you speak about a specific business topic on a lot of different things. Really, at the end of the day, I think your story as an entrepreneur is pretty darn inspiring as well as very practical. So that's kind of what I wanted to share with you listening today. Hillary, you have had Hillary Hendershot Financial for a little over three years now. How in the world did you start your financial education? Like what what got you in a place where you knew that you were ready to start that company? It was a conflagration of events. It was a both, uh, I can finally see that I can do this. And by the way, I kind of have to do this or I'm going to be miserable. So <laughs> I had been working in my father's financial planning firm for about 13 years, approximately. And you know, I was the business continuation plan. And that means I was going to take over when he retired. But I sort of thought that that meant he was going to retire and I was going to get to run something. And you know, he wasn't going anywhere. And <laughs> that's typical, and, like second generation business agenda, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> Dad, retire family already! Are, if you work in a family business and it works, kudos to you, you know, and kudos to my father and me because even though we went through, I mean. Uh, toward the end, daily argumentation, disagreements, I mean, and like vehement. And then we would go out for a glass of wine at night and there's no bad blood or anything. So it got to the point where I was really so unhappy there for that reason, but also at the same time, really inspired to create a brand around serving women. I shared with you last week, but there are these statistics in the financial planning world that say women are coming into possession and decision-making power on all like a trillion dollars of wealth. And financial planners are just salivating over these statistics. And yet, you know, financial planning is the last bastion of misogyny. For so many years, Wall Street has been by men for men. And so here are all these male financial planners who are eager to serve women. And, and I, you know, I know how they treat me. They talk to me like I'm uh, an afterthought, like I'm lucky that they let me in their 
conferences and and I and I was so sad to think these are the guys that are going to be taking care of the wealth of millions and millions of women and I thought you know I can do this wow <laughs> and so I was in my father's firm bringing in more and more female clients who were you know just being attracted to me as a professional and I thought I really want to create a brand that serves women and in order to do that I did have to leave so why I left is really my husband at one point said to me the fact that you're as unhappy as you are, that you're still there and these, you know, these disagreements with your father continue is really, he actually said it's hurting our relationship because I was that unhappy. And I think that was the bright line for me. It was like, oh, oh, I got it. Well, I'm, I'm actually not willing to sacrifice my marriage because I'm afraid to move. So I put on my big girl panties and I had <laughs> one of the hardest conversations of my life with my father and his wife, by the way, his, his wife is um, a 50% owner of his, of his business. So it's a joint business. And, and it was really hard. Was he supportive? He was. He okay. really was. And just, I'll, I'll say this, why not be naked and vulnerable? Um, I was paying the house a share of my book, my portfolio, my client base. Uh, yeah. And I continue to this day to pay that share to him. So wow. I'm, I'm paying him about $40,000 a year. Wow. And that's, I'm assuming, because like you basically took that book of business with you as you started your own company. Exactly. Was there any sort of weirdness that you had to go through saying, hey, dad, I'm going to ask these, you know, my clients, if they want to come with me or was it just assumed or was there like a non-compete that you guys had to kind of talk through or what, or is that why you were then paying that money to the house every year? My husband was the one who suggested that I continue to pay the share to the house and there was no non-solicit or non-compete. Those are not enforceable in California anyway. And we were a family. We didn't sign any contracts. Everything was verbal. And that was another problem. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, you know, in that same meeting, the hard conversation meeting, I just said, this is my plan. My plan is to invite the people who are working with me to come with me. If they don't want to come, they'll stay with you and I'll continue to pay what I've been paying. And they said, okay, we'll take it. Wow. So in essence, their financial situation didn't change. Actually, it significantly improved because I had a base salary too. So they stopped paying me my base, kept earning the (laughs) revenue share. And ultimately, I can still be their business continuation plan because I can now buy their business. Mm. Instead of inheriting it, I could actually buy it. So in my opinion, it's it's a win-win. Well, so in that first, I guess, year of you going out on your own, what was the biggest challenge that you have? Did the clients that you took with you, did that like, I'm okay. I'm not, I don't like have to start from zero. Did that make you feel a little bit padded or what was your experience during that first year as you were transitioning and officially saying I am my own, my own entity? So, and I don't know what it is about you, Katie, that makes me want to share things I've never (laughs) shared before. (laughs) I have that skill set, you know. (laughs) Uh, In that first year I had brought in, I hired an employee out of the MBA program at Santa Clara University, which is my alma mater. So she was on on the marketing side. And then I brought in someone who is a former mentor of mine, someone who had fallen on hard times and was out of work and someone I really looked up to in the past. And what I did wrong was I didn't articulate expectations and it became a nightmare. It was 
one of the more negative experiences of my life. <laughs> How so? And, just in, as far as like what you expected the work to be? Yeah, very different expectations on her part and my part. For example, being in the financial services industry, I'm very highly regulated. I need to approve everything that goes on my website. And she was changing blog posts. And I said, no, no, I have to final approve everything. And that was, I think, offensive to her. And that's just a representative example of the kinds of things that went wrong. And ultimately, I think you know, we didn't make as much money on the information product side. That's one thing I really learned and a struggle that I did have in the first year is I thought, I want to build a scalable business. I want to have this online course. Well, Katie, it turns out women don't really want an online course about money. They want coaching or they want a book, okay? Mm. And so I'm now providing both of those. I am trying to get a book out, but I put a lot of effort and energy into launching a program and her compensation was a function of direct sales from the product above and beyond the cost that went into the promotion. And it just didn't do as well as I wanted it to. And so she ended up not making the money that she wanted to make. And that became a very emotional issue for her. And I didn't really know how to deal with that. Wow. (laughs) So is that like an official like, okay, we're done and now everything's fine. That's part of the past. Let's move on. And you guys both go your own separate ways. Yeah. We're not in communication anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. It was really, really hard. I'm sure for her as well. And one of the things I said to her many times is we're just having very different viewpoints. Like everyone's viewpoint is valid, but clearly if you had my viewpoint, you wouldn't be doing the things you're doing. And clearly if I had yours, things would be different, but you know, it is the way that it is and it's not working. So that was really hard. Wow. Well, you mentioned the idea of the info products and doing things in that scalable model. It's really interesting to me because when I take a look at you, you're not somebody that I would consider your quote unquote, typical financial advisor. Can you give everyone an idea of like what your business model actually is? Because I think it's a little more innovative. It's a little bit more intuitive as far as who your clientele really is. I really like the idea of rethinking the way financial services are delivered. Uh, Obviously, there's uh, organizations in every industry that try to teach the professionals how to market and how to be a financial advisor. And all the language coming out of those organizations in my industry says wealthy clients want exclusivity. They want to feel special. They want a high-rise office and leather-bound furniture. And I kind of want to rethink that. And I think that that's not what all women want. I think that women do our best work in community together, that we love to stand shoulder to shoulder. And you might be further ahead in a particular area of life, but that's almost always balanced out by conversely, the other person is doing better in a, in a particular area of life. And just because you've got a bunch of money doesn't mean that you have to sit alone in a high rise tower. And so I have really invited women to interact in groups, masterminds, coaching programs. And I'm kind of feeling that out, seeing how that works, right? To get women to share vulnerably and in doing so really move people forward with momentum. So a lot of the things that we, basically, Katie, people are crazy about money, okay? And a lot of those insanities live, and this is not a personal insult to any of you listening. I'm crazy about money. We're all crazy about money. Money is a blank slate. You can put anything on it that you want. Money doesn't exist in reality. We made it up in 
language, but we act like it has all these characteristics and, and it really doesn't. And so when you get together and if you can bring those out into the open and see how others are moving forward with momentum, I think that when you interact with money in reality, you can kind of unwind some of those un- insanities and, and produce a lot of forward progress. And so I'm testing various ways to have that happen. And I do have a very traditional financial planning service model. I do have clients that come meet with me one-on-one. We go over their estate planning, tax planning, investments, savings rate. So I do that work as well. Well, and I think another kind of non-traditional part about everything that you have is that you have a virtual staff. How many people are on your staff and where are they? I just got a signed offer letter. So I just hired my first full-time associate planner and she is in Indiana. I have an operations manager in Arizona and a para planner in Sacramento, California, which is a two-hour drive from my office. So being in the San Francisco Bay Area, what I decided to do, my compensation strategy is to hire people who feel that it is a benefit to be able to work from home, work flexibly. And then I don't have to pay the San Francisco Bay Area premium. I mean, $150,000 a year in San Jose is like poverty wages. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) It's insane. So when you start looking outside of those geographic boundaries, you can start finding high quality people who are driven, who can work from their own home, who can work at their own pace, that fulfill and over deliver to what the company's mission is. And then you can be able to pay accordingly to that. There are things you have to do to compensate for, oh, the team's not always together. So a daily huddle, a daily communication where we talk about what we're working on and any obstacles we see. Right now, my plan is to fly everyone in quarterly to get together for a couple days because you still have to build rapport and and build relationships, right? Doing a lot of meetings on FaceTime so you have that visual aspect of the relationship. But I think it works and I don't have to have a big office and I can, so I can run fairly lean. Yeah. Well, okay. So right now you're working from your office, you have people all over. And what would you say is like the big vision? What do you really want out of your company? Oh, whoa. <laughs> oh, I'm going you there, girl. You should have told me to prepare for that. But... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Just oh, a little, geez. just a little glimpse into it. I'm not asking you to like foresee the future, but like, you know, there's every single one of us has at least a glimpse of why we're in here doing this. I know that you mentioned that there's this big pull for you to fulfill the needs of this ever-growing population of women who have financial freedom and control over our monies. And we're doing that for good reasons and, and making an impact on the world. And I know that's so much a part of why I show up to do what I'm doing every day because it empowers all of these incredible women to make impacts. And I feel like you and I are very similar in that respect. I don't know if that's your full vision, but like every single woman listening right now has something like that. I'm not saying it's women specific, but like we've got some deeper purpose that makes us show up every day. So what is that for you? If you look at the spectrum of people who have the degree of financial success that they have, there are smart, successful, educated people who heretofore have never achieved the financial success that they want. My assertion is that that is a psychological problem. You could call it a mindset problem or a language problem, but that the point is it can be resolved, okay? So I want to create 
and document a technology, a system that I can put women through a process, a, a curriculum or a coaching program that turns them out with more earning ability, the, the ability to save when they formerly were spending, the uh, basic understanding of how to interact with the stock market or at least knowing who to hire to, to do that for you. I mean, I my vision is to transform women's financial lives. And I say women, I'm just motivated to work with women. It works for men too, right? And 30% of my clients are men, but but it just really inspires me to work in the community of women. And so I really want to create a transformational brand. And I don't want to manage a huge team. Like I don't want to be a human resources person. Yeah. So we'll see how it looks from a company standpoint. But man, would I love to get to the finish line of life knowing that there are people out there who have financial freedom that wouldn't have otherwise because they interacted with me. That's what gets me up in the morning. I love, love, love that. And I just so I identify with that. And I really believe that every single person listening is like nodding their head. <laughs> like, okay, I want other people to benefit. I want to make this world better. I mean, that's the common denominator is like, I'm in this because I want to make the world better. I want to make an impact in some way, shape or form that directly impacts my life as we're doing it, but has something so much bigger happening there. So I just love that. Now, in this time, in these past three years, you have had a major life change called having a baby, which I'm sure probably changed a few things for you. So because that could be a long conversation, what is probably the biggest benefit or the greatest thing that has come out of having your daughter amidst growing a business? And what is the most challenging thing that's happened? Lots of women are moms, right? Mm -hmm. And moms relate to other moms. And I notice that there's more camaraderie now that I have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I get to be part of this cool Facebook group for <laughs> people who have online businesses and are moms. And yep. like, you know, that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for little Harlan. So I think it just even further uh, is a, I guess, a leverage point or an opening to have more and deeper relationships like that, that are easy and camaraderie like that. Yeah. The hardest part is time management. I will say I talk a lot about scarcity mindsets when it comes to money. I think I have a scarcity mindset when it comes to time. So yeah. that's the next frontier for my own transformation. Oh, girl, I'm <laughs> going through that literally right now. <laughs> it's just, I feel like my day is not my own. And yeah. it used to be, I would work late into the night. I would work till 10, 11, 12. And, you know, we put the baby to bed at eight o'clock. You would think that I could then, you know, go back to work for a couple hours. I am so exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it just never turns out that way. And so I feel like my actual hours worked, it's like got cut in half. Yeah. And so I don't really have a resolution for that right now, except babysitters. <laughs> working on it, working on it. I actually just got finished reading this book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Yep. And there's a chapter in there and I, I got to admit that I wasn't fully like super present. I was kind of falling asleep, just not because of the book, but just because of the time period when I was listening to the book. But he has a whole chapter on reframing time. And it's all about really 
doing a paradigm shift and understanding that time is not this external thing, that it actually starts with us. And he gave this really great example about how there are some times when like you need to sit down and write a blog article, for example, and it's taking you forever. You're not in the mindset. You're you're distracted. You're doing whatever. And so a lot of time is passing and nothing's getting done. But then when you're in the moment of, let's just say you're like super focused and you're in the flow, you can tear out that article and like, 20 minutes, right? He's like, so time starts from you. I need to go back and reread it to understand the full depth of that concept. But I would imagine that that's a really good place to start. And I think for anyone, whether you're a mother or not, being able to really deal with how we're managing time and productivity, I mean, it's just massive. I personally believe that's sort of like the foundation and the central component of being able to live a life that really hits on all cylinders and all the areas that are important to you. Well, that's a really empowered way to look at it. I think (laughs) so too. I'm with you. I don't know as a business owner, I don't think I could live without employees because when I can't work, at least they're working. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you might have to go back and reread that chapter. I know me too. I know so bad. I'll come back with you guys with a full analysis of time (laughs) management from Gay Hendricks. But you bring up a good topic because there are a lot of ladies listening who have employees or have independent contractors working for them. Based on the conversations that you and I have had, you're pretty darn awesome at being able to identify talent, set up expectations, and it's probably because of that first initial negative experience that you had, and being able to actually delegate and like get people to do the work that you don't need to be doing. So can you give any sort of recommendations or habits that you have or structure that you've created for yourself that helps you do that well? On how to identify who's going to be a good employee? Well, um, I guess maybe how to actually delegate, like how to actually leverage other people's time so that you can save yours for those most important things in business. Yeah, I'm almost spiritual about hiring because it all starts with who you hire, <laughs> right? You yeah. can take you can take well-intentioned people, but if they're lazy or uncommitted or disloyal, there's really nothing that you're going to get out of them. It's going to be a big waste of your time and money. And so I'm very careful who I bring in. And so I have a very thorough process. I put people in an interview with everyone on my team. And then I secretly, I tell my employees who interview future employees, I say, be really light with them, kind of be friendly, make make it so that they feel like they can tell you anything. And then of course we get together and do a deep dive on everything that they said afterward. (laughs) You know, because when I interview people, I'm pretty formal. I'm asking behavioral interview type questions. So be careful who you bring in. And I think it starts with documenting accountabilities. So you have got to write down everything that's happening in your business, everything that you're doing, and then every action that you're taking is tied to an accountability. You have an accountability to produce blog posts, to produce a physical product, to produce sales conversations, right? And so you need a list of those accountabilities and then you just have to delegate them. Uh, And I will say... I haven't been the best at that. We had a screw up last week where there's a project and I wanted my ops manager to handle it, but I step in and take over when I don't think she's doing what I would want done. So then she gets confused. Whose project is this? And rightfully so, but she doesn't want to ask and tick me off. So (laughs) it got really muddled. And at the end of the day, I said, you know what? This is my fault. Like I told you this was your project. And then I took it back from you without telling you that I was taking it back from you. And then I was upset when it didn't get done. Right. (laughs) So I think the only solution to that for me is writing down the accountability and having a 
list of whose is whose. Yeah, I love that. And I'm raising my hand right now because I'm totally guilty of that. <laughs> taking yeah. back over projects because then your little perfectionistic starts to kick in like, dude, I could just totally take care of this in like 10 minutes. And then you get interrupted five minutes into it and then it never gets done. And then you're angry that it doesn't get done the right way because you delegated, but now you took it back. So uh, yeah, there's a lot well, of us nodding our heads. <laughs> yeah, as a business owner, when you take it back, it feels like, oh, I'm just being responsible. This is my company. I should just make sure this happens. But actually, it's kind of a jerky thing to do to your employees. So true. Hillary, in the past three years, what have been some of your biggest successes that you've had? I feel like you, and I don't know the super intimacies of your business, but I feel like you've had very strategic and purposeful growth. You've created a very significant business just in three years, in a relatively short period of time. Can you talk a little bit about maybe specific planning that you do, different types of like setting yourself up for success? Do you do annual planning? Are you doing quarterly planning? How are you following through with that? Do you have a coach to help you out? What are you doing to make sure that you are continuing to grow in the way that you want to grow? I feel I needed to have taken notes on all those questions. <laughs> sorry. So that's like, I just committed like podcast interview or suicide. I'm sorry. That, how, which of those 80 questions would you like to answer first? I'll <laughs> I, just go off the cuff. I know, go off that? the cuff. General like ha- habits because that anyone who... The reason I'm asking is because I feel like when we as businesswomen who are passionate about growing and are constantly in our businesses to grow, there is this thing called life happens, it feels chaotic, and then I get pulled away from the plan. And then I'm growing sort of not by accident, but not nearly as purposefully and as focused as I want to be. So I guess that's the question I'm asking is what do you do to stay focused and growing so purposefully? Well, I think I'm naturally focused on the numbers. I have a written uh, sales process. So my my opportunities, uh, it's like a huge funnel, right? The new revenue coming into the business is like there are prospective clients and then everyone's at a certain stage in the um, onboarding process. And so that's all documented. That's been disseminated to the team. So we work from that process. I use Salesforce as a CRM and opportunities tracking. I don't think that Salesforce is the best. I'm going to be moving away from it. I don't think I'm their their ideal client, but I do use it right now. You could use a spreadsheet if you wanted, probably not a Word doc, but a spreadsheet would suffice if, you know, if you're depending on how many sort of working parts you have. But I run my business from the opportunities dashboard And I was blogging for a long time as a marketing tool. And I really wanted to start a podcast, I think, because I was listening to so many podcasts that were making such a big difference in my life. And it really was a kind of the best thing that I could have done because it turns out that the audio medium is just really a strong suit of mine and blogging isn't. And not only that, but women don't really want to read a bunch of blogs posts about money turns out that uh, it's not something like for example I've I've spoken a lot w- about this with uh, Amanda Steinberg of uh, Daily Worth she's the CEO of Daily Worth and mm-hmm. you know she gave me a statistic if their articles were more than 25 to 30% about personal finance so on Daily Worth you also can read about career and time management and a bunch of other things that aren't personal finance but she said if it was more than 30% personal finance that their readership would just drop off precipitously wow that yeah, it's just not something women go to the web to read about. So I launched the podcast and it's been, I mean, it's almost therapeutic for me 
I get ideas for episodes all the time. And the, the hard part is getting them documented and yeah. written down so that I can flesh it out later. And so I've loved that and definitely have had lots of new business as a function of the podcast. So that's been really exciting. That's Profit Boss Radio, by the way. Yes, and, which there uh, will be a link in the show notes. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. Like you said that you've had new clients from it, but what has been the overall impact of that podcast? I, I feel like it's pretty big. Measure how? What do you mean? Sorry. I mean, just the fact that like, I think you're awesome is pretty much what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, just the fact, okay, because here's how you measure podcasts is yes, indirect, like that turned into a client and that turns into revenue for my business. But there's also this thing called branding and like the fact that you as an expert of, in this financial arena are out there and there are so many more people listening than who have come in as your clients, but come to you as an expert and as somebody who knows what they're talking about. So they can become part of this larger community, if you will, of people who just love what you're doing and believe in it and go to you as that expert. I get these emails, Katie, you must get them too, from women who, just last week, this person said, for years and years and years, I, in my mind, was never going to make more than $90,000 a year. And then I started listening to Profit Boss Radio and Hillary one day said, you know what? There are people out there making two hundred thousand dollars a year. Why can't you be one of them? And she Mm. said, I went back to school. She was already a nurse and I don't know the alphabet soup of designations that a nurse can get, but like now she's up to like $170,000 a year. Wow. Right. And I'm like, and she's like, and that was just because Hillary said that, that one day it almost brings me to tears to know. I mean, that really is kind of that dream fulfilled that I shared with you. My vision earlier is like, yeah, people have financial freedom because they came into contact with me that they wouldn't otherwise have had. And so I think the feedback I get from women who listen to this show and get it is just so monstrously positive. And they get on the phone with me and they say to me, first of all, I already trust you. Like, I don't want to work with anyone else. I know your family. They know my baby's name and my husband's (laughs) name. And and they say, I already know I want to work with you. Like, where do I sign? And from a business perspective, it blows me away because I usually have to spend three and a half to four hours with a prospective client over the period of a month to get to a place where I even ask them to sign a contract, right? Because financial services is such a trust-based business. But I really look for ways in my business to scale. And I believe that what the podcast does is it scales trust. And that is a thing that no, I don't think any other financial planner has or really gets because ultimately I'm in the business of building trust. If you don't trust your financial planner, you don't stay very long. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you move on. And so trust is my lifeblood. It's my business lifeblood. And so I'm intentional about sharing things about my life on the podcast and being open and vulnerable. The business woman in me wouldn't want to share about, oh, I'm having, I, you know, I just bought a house and we have to move because we got kicked out of this house we were renting in because the owner's wanted to sell it. And so, oh my gosh, I have all this stuff to do. And I I never would share about that. Uh, How do I say the businesswoman I was raised to be wouldn't want to share that. But now I know that is the stuff you share. Right, right. (laughs) So that people know you. So I think the bigger impact has been very, very positive and remunerative. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wish I had three times or 10 times the downloads that I have, but that's an infinite possibility of numbers. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, I love my listenership and they've been very positive with me. And so it's something I'm really glad I took on. 
I love that. I want to go ahead and conclude our conversation by asking you, over these years, you are now three years into your own business. You are well over a decade in the industry as a whole. As an entrepreneur today, how can you stand and look back on the businesswoman that you've become? And what are like one or two things that you could say, wow, I can't believe I'm now doing this, or I can't believe I now am this person? What are those things that happily amaze you as to how you've evolved? The biggest one is that when I started in the business, I looked around me and all the my colleagues were my father's colleagues. So my father's 36 years older than me. His colleagues are about that age. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, first of all, I'm the wrong age and the wrong gender to be in this business. I had tremendous insecurity and I was petrified that a client would ask me something about the stock market in a meeting that I couldn't answer. And I just one day had this realization that as I'm looking for a female doctor, by the way, I only like to go see female doctors (laughs) and I'm looking for a female doctor. And all of a sudden this realization came to me, you know what, Hillary, you're not the right financial planner for some people, but you're exactly the right financial planner for a lot of people. And your job is to find those people. And it was like a sea change of who I was for myself in the world. And uh, I think my business grew, I think, 25% that year. And I think just energetically, I don't know, something opened up in me and people felt it and Mm. came my way. And so I can't believe that I'm very confident about talking about investing in the stock market. I never thought that I would get there. And I'm at the point now where those days are gone. Like I, I relate to myself like an expert in that. And I never wanted to be a business owner. I never wanted my financial resources to be a function of my own selling and production. And boy, that mindset changed a hundred percent. If you aren't a business owner, if you aren't an entrepreneur, you're essentially stuck at this ceiling called the wage somebody else decide to pay you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the, the lifestyle of an entrepreneur has so much freedom and flexibility and There's just so much you can do as a business owner. I'll never go back. So really those two things. I love it. Love it. If you do not currently subscribe or listen to Profit Boss Radio, I highly recommend that you do such great information and you hear it now, like just how kind of made for radio Hillary's voices. It is so wonderful. And the information that you share on there is so relatable. Like it's not off the wall. Like I can't understand these terms. Like it is very, very relatable, very easy to understand. And if you are looking out for any financial advisor who can help you, whether it's with coaching, masterminding, or specifically with your portfolio, I would highly recommend you go check out hillaryhendershot.com. And that will be in the show notes as well. Hillary, thank you so much for giving us an inside view as to what the heck goes on inside the brain of a great business builder. And um, (laughs) I know we hit on so many different parts, but overall, what I was hoping to communicate that I feel like we did really well was just like, you know, all the ups and downs, all the little specific things that you give a lot of attention to, the the things that you've had to overcome, and ultimately just the fact that you continue to grow with this big vision and with this big purpose in mind. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, That was one of the most interesting interviews I think I've ever done. You're really great at this. (laughs) Except for that. Here's 20 questions. Pick one. (laughs) 
Girl, I'm allowed a few of those after three and a half years of interviewing. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this episode today. I am so grateful that you are here listening. If you want to connect with your fellow listeners and start having more and more business conversations so that you can learn all the intricacies you need to learn about growing a business and growing it purposefully and making it grow beyond what you can possibly imagine, go connect with thousands of other business owners in the Biz Women Rock community. We have a private Facebook group that is totally free for you at bizwomenrock.com forward slash group. I look forward to seeing you in there.